Have you finished your personal statement yet? Now's the perfect time to get it professionally reviewed by a medical school HQ expert advisor. We have former directors of admissions, admissions officers, and the like on our small team of amazing people. They have the inside knowledge from reading thousands and thousands and thousands, tens, if not 100,000 personal statements going through the process and setting up the process for their whole committee. They know exactly what medical schools look for and the common red flags that can get your entire application thrown out. Take advantage of our flash sale right now, going through May 6th, up to 6,000 characters reviewed for just $150. That's a $75 discount on our regular price. Go to editmyps.com. Again, that's editmyps.com. I'm proud of you, black man. I'm proud of you, black man. If you're wondering where that emotion comes from and who that is, we have a great episode for you today. We're talking to Dr. Russell Liday, the man behind that I'm proud of you, black man, emotion during his match day. We talk about what led to that emotion. What was he saying? Who was he saying it to? We're going to talk about all of the obstacles that he has overcome and what you as a pre-med student may be struggling with your own adversity, what you can do to overcome. This is a fantastic interview. Don't miss it. The Pre-Med Year, session number 486. Hello, and welcome to The Pre-Med Years, where we believe that collaboration, not competition, is key to your success. I'm your host, Dr. Ryan Gray, and in this podcast, we share with you stories, encouragement, and information that you need to know to help guide you on your path to becoming a physician. Welcome to The Pre-Med Years. Thank you so much for joining me. I'm excited to have an amazing guest on this show today. On this podcast, the Pre-Med Years podcast, I love bringing on students who have overcome obstacles, who have shown that no matter what, if you work hard enough, and more importantly, if you don't give up, you can achieve your goals and dream of becoming a physician. Dr. Russell Liday is the epitome of that goal, a man who potentially had every obstacle in his way. Yet with the drive to never give up, the support of an amazing spouse and two wonderful kids, Dr. Lede has achieved and now is on his way to residency after his match, which is where we heard that I'm proud of you, black man. Dr. Russell Lede, welcome to the pre-med years. Thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me, and I'm excited to be on. I'm excited to have you. I uh, normally don't talk to doctors on this show, uh, but you uh, I made an exception for you uh, because you are you are awesome. Uh, you're a recent doctor, recent graduate of medical yeah. school. Let's rewind. Let's go back in time to when to when little baby Russell uh, first realized he wanted to be a doctor. When was that for you? Uh, probably around 2010, 2011. Um, I just come up off of active duty in the United States Navy. Um, so I had to get a job. Um, and I got a job as a security guard at a hospital. 
Um, really, you know, that was really my first real exposure to medicine. Mm. Um, obviously not in the capacity as a, as a, a clinician in any sort. Um, but I got to see people walking around with white coats on and dealing with trauma in the ER, you know, and I just started thinking like, man, maybe this is something that I can do for a living. Um, and it was, it was a long shot because, you know, coming from where I come from, you just don't, not too many doctors <laughs> come from where I come from. Yeah. And definitely not too many doctors who look like me. So, uh, you know, but I, I gave it a shot. I asked a lot of doctors, could I shadow them while I was being a security guard? And a lot of them laughed at me and were like, Security guards don't become doctors, <laughs> which I was cool with. You know, I'm, I'm cool with the naysayers. You know, they they were, they have a role too. You know? But there was one doc who was like, nah, bro, you can become a doctor if you really want to be. Patrick is an amazing friend of mine and, and a mentor that I heavily rely on. Um, at the time, I only knew him as Dr. Greifenstein. He was a chief surgery resident for LSU. He just needed somebody to escort him to the operating room. And as I was escorting him, I was like, hey, man, can I shadow you? And he's like, yeah, why not? <laughs> I was kind of <laughs> shocked. Why not? Like, why not? Everybody else said, everybody else said no. Yeah. You know? So, uh, yeah, man. And then from then on, it was really just about, you know, the grind of getting into medical school, which is which is a really difficult thing to do. Yeah. So, so let's talk about that. You just happen to get a job in a hospital, right? The the mm-hmm. luck of that, of just like, I need a job, I need something. The hospital's hiring a security guard. I'm a big dude. Uh, they, they'll they yeah. take me. Um, yeah. A lot of people would stop right there and go, this is my lot in life, right? It's not a lot, but it's my life. It's from, from a bug's yeah. life. Um, what gave you the audacity that goes like, I want more? I can be that person in that white coat. Yeah, I think, you know, if I'm honest, I think there's a a, a trauma associated with poverty um, that can force you to, to run harder, run faster, compete harder, um, and just want more. You know, people yeah. always ask me, like, what motivated me? I'm like, you ever been as impoverished as I was? You would uh, you would work as hard as I did, too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, just because you just, you don't ever want to experience that for yourself anymore. Um, and at the time, I obviously, I had a family too. I think my wife and I just had our first child. Um, and I just wanted more. I, I honestly, I could kind of look at my wife's family too. They had a lot more. So I had something to reflect on. Mm-hmm. You know, they had a lot more. Um, I saw a lot more, in, you know, in, in every area of their life and the people that, you know, they were associated with, whether it was like distant cousins, aunts, you know, whatever, they just have more. And I was like, oh, so it's possible. I don't know how to do it, but I'm going to keep grabbing that straws and I'll figure something out. And obviously I knew, you know, doctors make a healthy living. So um, that was, but I, I never really looked at it as like, you know, this is um, this thing that I can't accomplish. I was just like, oh, this was just really challenging. Mm-hmm. Um but I, I'm always up for the challenge. I mean, I think once you're in the military, you don't really look at things as something that's not like you're not capable of doing. You just know that it's going to take a lot, but you know how to perform with a lot. So you're fine with it. Yeah. So that's that's interesting. So your wife, her family, you saw possibility. Yeah. Yeah, you see more. You see more. And, and I think you talked about the trauma of of being in poverty. And I, I think a lot of people stay in that because they don't have those people to see that. Right. Yeah. And I, I talk to so many students 
who, um, whether they're Muslim or Orthodox Jewish or black, and and they're coming to me later in life, in their late 20s or 30s, saying, I want to be a doctor now. I've always wanted to be, but I never saw anyone that looked like me, that came from the same place as me, that talked like me, whatever it is, in that position, so I didn't see the possibility. And so it's very interesting that that you were lucky enough to marry probably a fantastic woman uh, and, mm-hmm. and saw possibility from her family. And, and that's what gave you a kind of the an opening, right? And you, you took it. Yeah. You took yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, it's, it's that. And it's also like, it, I think I always looked at it too. Like I have mentors who didn't look like me when I was in the military. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a guy who I always talk about at the time. His name was Chief Tim Pavey. He was from like Indiana, middle of nowhere. Um, he's actually really excited about moving to Indiana. Um, I think he's from like Whitesville or something like that. And uh, this dude was like a middle of nowhere white dude, bald head, just country as can be. But he loved me, man. He just like was like, man, I want the best for you, you know. Yeah. Um, and I think that's why, like, you know, Patrick is a, a bald white guy from Miami, and I just kind of looked at it as like I already knew the chances of me finding somebody who looked like me. And this thing that I wanted to do was like slim. I only have met the first, you know, MD PhD I ever met um, was a guy who was a, a professor at MIT, a black guy um, at a conference. I remember like reaching out to him multiple times afterwards and he was just like not interested in even talking to me or nothing. And he kind of looked at it as like, it might be a long shot or whatever, but I just kind of look at it as like, I'm going to cling on to anybody who's interested in helping me get to where I got to go. Because yeah. if I'm just waiting on somebody who look like me, I might be waiting a while. You know, <laughs> me waiting a long I time. I don't have time. Yeah. Yeah, and I don't have time. You know, none of us really have time. You know, yeah. we obviously there's a stigma against older people going to medical school. Um, so it's harder to get into medical school the older you are. Mm. Um, you know, so it's it, you gotta. I mean, I just think you have to cling on to people who are gonna help you, man. If they look like you, that's awesome because there's some cultural stuff some cultural barriers that you won't have to climb over. Yeah. Um, but then believe it or not, man, there are some people who who don't look like you who gonna accept you for who you are. You know, and they they just they they on your side. You yeah. Know, I, I think there's this huge division in this world that we're taught that I don't necessarily ascribe to. I just check people's heart. And if they heart is solid, then we can rock. Love it. Love it. So talk about you you are escorting this doctor, this surgeon to to the operating room wherever you're escorting him. Uh, you're like, hey, can I shadow you? You you get the you get the check mark. Yes. What was it like to shadow for the first time and actually see what's going on? Yeah. So it's crazy. He was. It's funny. I actually ended up shadowing him the next morning. I, I was working 4 p.m. at midnight um, as a security guard, and I just stayed in that hospital library until the next morning. So I was like, I'm not, I'm not <laughs> missing this opportunity. Um, luckily, my wife was on board with it. You know, and I just stayed in there, studied and saw him the next morning. We got the paperwork done and we walk into the operating room and I'm in there with a guy named Dr. Peter Bostic, who's like one of the most talented surgical oncologists in the country. And he just so happened to be a black dude. And I was like, whoa, what is this? Like, <laughs> this is crazy, you know. Um, so, of course, that was a little bit more motivation. But afterwards, you know, we sat in the lounge and 
um, he just really told me, like, man, you know, you could really do this. You know, hearing that from from Dr. Bostic was was wild. Um, and actually, Dr. Bostic's wife is a pediatrician, and she was my oldest daughter's pediatrician when she was born. Nice. So, yeah, smart. But even in the operating room, man, I'll never forget the Casey. There was a woman who was having a lumpectomy. Um, she had some breast cancer going on. We, you know, took it to pathology right next door. Um, it was crazy. Like, you know, he let me put my hand in there, you know, just kind of, you know, you just mind blown. Like, <laughs> it's your first time seeing it up close yeah. and personal. And, you know, obviously I didn't end up in a surgical specialty, but, um, he's proud of me. You know, Patrick is proud of me. and It's crazy full circle to, you know, to, to really be in that position now it's, it's, it's pretty wild but i could look back on it it was a it was a moment that changed my life it yeah. changed my life do do you, do you think uh looking back it sounds like you have a good memory of that time coming home to your wife going honey i'm going to med school yeah no nah, i definitely <laughs> told my wife like honey i think i want to be a doctor and she was like okay if the story couldn't get any crazier like let's just <laughs> You know, and, and crazy enough, like, I think that's the one thing I can, it's not the one thing, but it's one of the huge things that I can really attribute to throughout this journey. Like, I think I've, I've had the grace of having my wife on my side for 16 years. You know, it's just taking us 16 years to get all these degrees and go through all this schooling and yeah. get a PhD and then go to med school. It's just yeah. crazy. You know? Let, let's talk so, about that journey a little bit, because when I, when I mm -hmm. learned about your story a little bit and when we have a, a mutual friend, uh, uh, staff sergeant <laughs> to MD PhD, Adrian on Instagram, uh, I was having yeah. dinner with her in Balt, uh, in, uh, DC recently and, and learning a little bit more about your story. The, the path that you've taken to get your PhD first and then go to medical school. What, what was that thought process like? Yeah, I think the thought, you know, when I came out of undergrad, I applied to MD PhD program uh, okay. in my last year of undergrad, and I didn't get any any of them. Um, but I did get a call from the dean over at NYU School of Medicine, who had known me from a fellowship with you, and he was like, "Man, you should come to." NYU. Is this the dean of admissions or the dean of the school? No, this is the dean of the school. Okay. This is the, yeah, this is the dean of the school. So he called me a guy named Dr. Joe Oppenheim. So he called me, he's like, hey, man, you should come up here. And I'm like, bro, what? <laughs> he's like, yeah, you should come up here, man. We're going to pay you, you know, let you get your PhD, you know, help you find a lab. And then if you want to go to medical school afterwards, you can. Um, in hindsight, I'm actually happy that I did it this way. I think that there are uh, a lot of time constraints that are placed within MD PhD programs. Mm -hmm. In these MSTPs, um, you know, I'm sure a lot of these listeners know about medical science training programs, but they, uh, you know, they, they really put time constraints on people. They don't really want you there five years, six years finishing your PhD. But PhD work, you know, research work is not, you're just going to find a finding that is really, you know, profound in a time that you want. It, you don't know. You got to investigate, investigate, investigate. So, um the thought process was just go become a scientist and then we'll figure out the rest. Yeah. And I'll never forget, we were coming through the Holland Tunnel, coming from Brooklyn. We go to church in Brooklyn. Mm -hmm. um, we were coming back through the Holland Tunnel and my wife was like, like, what do you really want to be? Like, what do you want to <laughs> do with your life? He's like, because people ask me like, so he's getting a PhD now. And then, like, what does he want to do after that? And I told her, I was like, I think I want to be a physician scientist. And she was like, oh, 
there's more. <laughs> there's okay. more. Uh, there's so there's more. more. Yeah. Yeah. But she, you know, she obviously was, you know, she was supportive and, you know, yeah. and helpful and, and, and really just, you know, been, has been my rock. So I think the thinking then was just become a really good scientist and then we'll figure out the rest later. And, and I, I obviously did that, you know, got funded by Howard Hughes Medical Institute and published in really big journals. Yeah. And all this other stuff, so. Let, let's go back to the the application cycle uh, during your undergraduate time. So mm-hmm. you, you leave the Navy, you go to, to undergrad, you're on this pre-med path, I'm going to be a doctor. Mm-hmm. You apply to medical schools and you don't get in. And a lot of people mm-hmm. will go, okay, yeah. like I'm done. I, that's, I, it. that's it. Yeah. Number one, because it costs way too much freaking money to apply yeah. to medical schools. And so a from, a, from a budget constraint, they're like, I, I can't apply again. Uh, but from an ego standpoint and from like the universe is telling me that this isn't for me, mm-hmm. what, again, yeah. I, I, I come back to the word audacity uh, for you for some reason. What gave you the audacity to go like screw all those schools that said no? I'm gonna do this anyway. Obviously, the phone call helps. Yeah, yeah, the phone call helps a lot. Um, you know, I think I look at it as like you, they were wrong. I'm not wrong. They're wrong. <laughs> um, and 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 I'm pretty sure all those institutions are like, hey, missed yeah, it. we missed on that one. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's kind. I kind of think of it as like the NFL draft. People, you know, think about Tom Brady was drafted in what the yeah. sixth or seventh yeah. round or something like that. Like, yep. A lot of people miss him. Like, you know, a lot of people miss him. You know, these these uh undrafted free agents and they end up being all pro. You like, oh, you just missed. Like you you just missed. Yeah. Just think about how many doctors had the ability to, you know, to, to be Patrick Gregson's son that were like, no. Um, security guards don't become doctors or man, come on, it's not really what you want. You know, and and Patrick goes like, that's wrong. Like I'm a drafter. You know, so I think you just have to convince yourself that like those people are wrong. Um and everybody's threshold to that is different. Some people, like you said, the financial strength is sometimes too great. Mm-hmm. Sometimes the financial need in the immediate you know, financial need right now for the family yeah. is too great. You know, sometimes people need people in their family to make money now. And we already didn't sacrifice enough for you to go get an undergrad degree. Then we pay for you to apply one time. Are we really going to pay for you to apply again? And and then what if you don't get in again? Then what? Like, well, how many times are we going to do this? You yeah. Know? So it's it's a it's an individual thing. Um, yeah. Did did I you have those conversations with your wife? Nah. She was just like, oh, they, they just wrong. Like, we're going to try this again. Okay. So she, she was she, like, I mean, whatever you need. Process, whatever <laughs> like, i'll never forget when i got my score back from the mcat i was like 22 um it was like yeah horrendous like it was terrible i don't even remember but i know it's bad yeah. so so 22 just just for people listening a 22 just off the top of my head is probably uh 495 ish maybe 494 yeah. 495 so so uh in yeah. in current scores um so not the best right not the worst but yeah. not the best nah. okay nah. My wife was like, I was on the couch crying. She was like, oh, we're going to celebrate. Like, we about to go to Joe's Crab Shack and celebrate your score. <laughs> we're going to Sizzler. I was like, yeah, I'm like, what do you mean? Like, what? She's yeah. like, yeah. She's like, it's going to work out. She's like, guarantee you it's going to work out. And I think it worked <sighs> out pretty good. How do you, how do you, so, so let, let's go back to relationships. How do you find someone that's supportive? 
I don't know the answer. <laughs> Luck. <laughs> Luck. Yeah, I think, yeah. <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't, I mean, I'm still trying to figure out, yeah. <laughs> you know, how I ended up in this situation. I don't know the answer to it. I, I do think that it is important to, um, as I stated earlier in this podcast, I mean, you got to look for people who really want to connect with you and they're really interested in building you. They don't necessarily have to be your husband or your wife or your partner or whatever. Yeah. They just have to be people who are really interested and willing to build you. And then you don't know what they're going to look like. You're not going to know where they're from. You know, when yeah. I was going through my scientific journey, one of my biggest advocates and mentors was a guy named Dr. Vladimir Zvetlov. I guess you can kind of imagine where he's from. Um, <laughs> if you just take a wild guess, you can kind of get an idea <laughs> of where he's from. Yep. Um, but, you know, Vlad, man, Vlad still to this day, like, he just sent my kids, like, a whole bunch of slime. You know, he just, he just, he loved on me, man. You know, from day one, he was like, listen, I believe in you, you know, and I'm just going to be here to help you at every turn. Yeah. I was like, bro, who, why would this guy, he don't know me from a fly on the wall. He, we don't have anything culturally in, you know, um, in common, but he just saw something in me, man. I think they're mentors like that in a lot of different places. It's just sometimes they don't necessarily look like us. Or yeah. They don't necessarily, you know. So let's talk about that because mentorship, I, I get asked the question a lot, how do I find a mentor through this process? Mm-hmm. And it sounds like you have found mentors every step of the way, whether you're yeah. in in the Navy, uh, in undergrad, uh, the hospital where you're um, uh, a yeah. security guard. And I'm assuming uh, your PhD, medical school. Yeah. How do you find mentors that are there to support you and lift you up? I'm going to tell you the answer, man. The answer is to value everyone. Like homeless people, I still value them. Like they have PhDs and MDPs. Yeah. One of my mentors is a guy who um, is, is, is somewhat homeless. And I like regularly call him. And I, I get different advice from different people. But everybody's surrounded by people. Like, you know, and, and sometimes it's also about communicating your dream and like your aspirations and things that you want to do. Yeah. And you listen for people who are like, dang, like really, can you tell me more? You know, or or people who are just interested in listening to you think out loud. Um, you, you'd be surprised. I think sometimes, especially with pre-med, they think the only person who can be their mentor is another doctor. Exactly. Yeah. And it's, that's not, that's fundamentally not true. Yeah. You, you don't need another doctor to be your mentor. I mean, it'd be great if they were, but honestly, I don't know if doctors are, are necessarily the greatest mentors to have because they're super busy. They're, they're all tied up. Even when they talk to you, your mind is in like a million different places. Um, whereas there are people who have a ton more time, you know, whether they're people you met in undergrad, people, sometimes it's people in your family or, you know, your close circle at your church or your mosque or whatever. Um, who will, they'll sit down and do that homework with you. You know, what scholarships are out there? The AEMC, uh, they have this scholarship that helps pay for uh, for uh, the AMCAS. Um, I found out about that, like through some like random person, like nothing to do with medicine was like, hey, like I read this on the internet. Um, you should look at it. I know you're interested in medical school. That person is a mentor of mine now. You know, they have nothing to do with medicine, nothing whatsoever. They just help to guide you through life. People forget that. Applying to medical school is a part of life. Yeah. Like if you want to become a doctor, you know, you need people to help guide you with making life decisions. You know, and I think sometimes we only look for people in medicine, and that's I think that's dangerous. I think you need people who are interested yeah. in your journey. 
Yeah, it, it, it's. Um, I, I talk about I talk about this a lot with my wife, and and just it it, it comes back to valuing everyone, right? It, uh, mm-hmm. The the janitor at the hospital, yep. all the way to the the CEO, um, yep. treat them the same, no matter what. Yep. And, yep. and and I I wonder for you. Is that ingrained in you from childhood, from your parents? Is that a Navy thing, like a respect thing? Where, where do you think that comes from? No, my grandmother. Yeah. I, I know exactly where it comes from. My grandmother fed everybody who came to her door. She just was like the, she was kind to everyone. You know, she just, she understood like it's important to treat everybody with respect, no yeah. matter who they are, no matter what. I remember like these guys who now I know it to be Wernicke's and cephalopathy. <laughs> You know, or, 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 you know, I know that now. I yeah. didn't know that then. Yeah. You know, uh, but these guys would come there, slurring their speech, ataxia, all these different things. And I'm like, man, my grandmother, like, would give them a plate to eat, give them a place to take a shower, you know, let them use the bathroom. And now, every, you know, if I, it's like you said, when I'm in the hospital, I notice everybody. You know, it don't matter if they sweep in the floor or if they give it somebody their food. It doesn't matter who they are. I'm going to speak to everyone. I'm a love on everyone. You know, I'm going to help everyone. It, it, I think sometimes there's like this doctor nurse like struggle between each other. Yeah. I've never had that. My mama was a certified nurse's aide. She was making less than minimum wage most of my life. You know, and I knew what my mom was treated like. So, and my mom would tell me like, it's important that you treat everybody with kindness. And yeah. she was like at the, you know, literally at the bottom. So I've gotten it from my mom, my grandmother. You know, and even my wife too. I never forget when I got my PhD. My wife was like, "I'm not calling you no doctor. <laughs> she was like, I'm not calling you." I was like, "What do you mean?" <laughs> she was like, "They got enough people that's gonna call you." Yeah, doctor. yeah. Show me your birth certificate, Russell. It doesn't say doctor on there, does it? <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. But you, as you know, it's important. It's important. Yeah, treat everybody with respect. Yeah, that's that's awesome. So. Let's talk about adversity because life is full of it. Uh, whether you grow up in adversity or uh, on your journey, you find adversity or it finds you. Uh, you. You talked about your MCAT score, right? A, a big piece of adversity of like, this is a big part of getting into medical school. How am I going to show them that I can do this uh, in medical school, uh, board exams and, and other things that that um, are meant to supposedly judge our ability to to be a good doctor? Uh, yep. I, I remember failing my first test in medical school, a histology test, and just like <laughs> being out of school for three years and coming back in and taking histology and anatomy at the same time. And I was so focused on anatomy because I love anatomy, right? I wanted to be the orthopedic surgeon. I'm like, anatomy, I got an A. That was an easy test. Uh, I didn't pay no mind to histology, so I, I failed that one. Um, how have you... Um, been met with adversity through this journey, uh, whether it's from a test angle or or being judged by how you look, walking into different uh, different patient rooms or or walking yeah. into new hospitals or clinics. Uh, how do you face that adversity every single day? Yeah, I think I I've, I've gotten to a place where I just think about it from the perspective of like, what is my goal? What is my goal? Like, I, I'm very selfish about my goals. Mm-hmm. I'm like, all right, my goal is to be the best caretaker of this patient. I'm not letting nothing get in between me and doing that. Yeah. If my goal is to succeed in medical school, I'm not letting anything get in between me and that. It, it, you know, even if I have to try again, 
you know, there's always an opportunity to try again, which is something that people rarely hear. Yeah. Um, if you fail, it's not the worst thing in the world. Um, actually, I think failure is the best thing in the world. I think failure is the greatest tool we have. Um, as long as we're succeeding, we're perfectly fine. And funny enough, I, I fell step two while I was interviewing for residency. Mm. So I, I'm interviewing for residency with a failed step two score. Yeah. Which obviously means that nobody's going to rank me. Yeah, you know, for for residency, and and I ended up passing step two while I was interviewed during the interview season between yeah. like November, February, spring. Um, but it was the greatest thing that ever happened. That feeling was like the best wait, thing. Ever. Wait, wait a I minute. The, the best harder. thing. <laughs> I wish I wait, wait, wait. That that doesn't seem logical. How is it the best thing that ever happened? Because you know what it made me realize. One, like for me personally, it made me dig in harder into my faith. Um, but also it just made me give more. Like it, it, it made me realize, okay, there's a, there's a higher level of understanding that I can have. Mm. There's a, a heart that I can go harder. I can do more. Um, failing is not the worst thing that ever happened. Like yeah. there's so many different it's perspective moments that I have. Yeah. yeah. Like you, you know, now I'm just like, oh, there's nothing to worry about. Yeah. Like failing is not the worst thing that could ever happen. Yeah. Clearly, it's not the worst thing that could ever happen. Um, I'll be fine. I'm going to be a doctor. I'll match into my number one choice for residency. Um, it, it will all yeah. work out. Even if I had to do it next year, it's going to all work out. I think we just, that fear, um, being not afraid of failure is an amazing trait to have. Yeah. Everybody, a lot of people are walking around and just scared to fail. Yeah. Did you ever meet somebody who's not afraid to they like the most dangerous <laughs> person to be around? Yeah. They're gonna try any and everything. Try it all. Try it all. Yeah. yeah. I, like, if I fail or whatever. I get in arguments with uh with my great um my in-laws all the time because they they're constantly around my kids, like, be careful, don't do that, be careful, be careful. I'm like, no, like let them fall flat on their face. <laughs> They'll figure it out. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> They'll figure it's it out. The best thing yeah. ever. Like yeah. you know, failure fair is a heck of a teacher, man. It's a really good teacher. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I, I want to talk about um, the, the video that I saw where I first learned about you, um, the, the match day video. But before we get to that, though, to be able to get to that point, you've, you've talked about your wife a lot. You have two kids. You have a spouse. You're going through your PhD. You're going through medical school. How do you do that? knowing that you have you have little mouths to feed little mouths uh, little brains to help develop um and, and a spouse to to support as well through that process how do you how do you balance all of that i don't balance it. i don't think balance is real yeah um, me neither <laughs> i think you just i think you just take it as it comes <laughs> like yeah you gotta you gotta you gotta forever be living by the by the seat of your pants you gotta yeah. be flying by the seat of your pants at all times, but you know until until you get to that place to where you're in attending and you, you know you, you're comfortable and things are straight. But until then, you just flying by the seat of your pants, man. Yeah. You make it work as it goes. You know there are days. I mean, you know the same day I was interviewing for Good Morning America, I had a I had an exam later that day. You know, <laughs> so it was like talk about juggling a lot. You know, you just kind of you know you just kind of you just kind of take everything as it comes man and and i think that's the one thing that the navy 
prepared me for. You, mm. I don't think your enemy just says to you like, hey, at 3.30 on Sunday, <laughs> we're going to think about shooting a missile, and at 6 o'clock, we're actually going to do it. Yeah. So we want you to be prepared. You know, you got to be, you got to be on your toes. And I think I've, you know, uh, my wife and I <laughs> call it the Lede way. Um, you just kind of, you just kind of do it as it comes. And, yeah. and actually, I was going through med school and business school. I just finished my MBA too. So, um, you are another one like, of those. Okay, just more. Yeah, just bring exactly. it on. So it's more. Just like you know, it, it's and, and I think you just you figure it out as you go. You know, and my kids have been a huge encourager. You know, they, yeah. they come alongside. I remember when I fell step too. I, I pulled my daughter, my oldest daughter, into the room, um, just because she's like a, a really comforting person to talk to sometimes and. I told her like, "Hey, I fell. You know, I was crying and all this other stuff." And she was like, "Oh, Dad, it's gonna be all right. Like, we gonna we gonna get it next time. You know, we'll just we'll just kill it next time. You know." And and, and so I incorporate them. You know, it's not yeah. like uh, my wife said when you graduate, uh, we're both getting white coats that day. <laughs> you know, so it, you know how it is. You know, especially when you got a, a partner who's like totally invested. They yeah. they know everything. Yeah. You know, she knew about all the residency programs. She knew how much money they pay you. How much insurance you get she knew everything man like she was doing homework so yeah you know we uh we're all invested it's not just me you know it's all of us so yeah I, that's I, why that match day was so yeah it was a lot it was big yeah let, let's know. let's talk about match day so so you uh match day for everyone that knows right one day in march typically around mid-march <laughs> The uh, uh, around noon, uh, everyone opens their envelope, figures out where they're going to go to residency. And there's a video of you over and over and over again saying, uh, and and correct me if I'm wrong, like, I'm I'm proud of you, black man. Yeah. What what was that emotion in you that that just let that out that day? It was like. I, I understood what I what my family had accomplished. Like, I, I understood what that moment meant for us. Yeah. You know, for everybody on the outside looking out, they're like, oh, it's about match day. Nah, it's about not quitting when I was a security guard. It's about my wife and I on a road trip in a U-Haul. We thought the car was strapped up and the car wasn't strapped up while we are driving through the mountains of Kentucky. Mm. It's about... My wife and I having arguments in Brooklyn because she's unwilling to drive in New York when we first pull up. It's about the people telling us, like, hey, you can't get a, a house in this Jewish neighborhood because we thought you were Jewish, but you're black. Like, it, it's about all those things and us still making it to that moment. That's what that's about. You know, it, it, you know it, it's, it, it's about it's a culminating moment for us because now you can't take any of that away from us. Yeah. You know. And so it, it was it was about so much more. You you know, for everybody who doesn't know, they don't know. But my wife and I understood what that moment was about. Yeah. You know, it's a whole lot of um, you couldn't do this. You can't do this. You need to cut your hair. You need to cut your beard. You shouldn't be so loud. You shouldn't say that on TV. You shouldn't do this. You shouldn't do that. You should have never took the 15 photo. You know, all, all these different things. It's like, y'all wrong. Like, y'all just 1,000% wrong. Yeah. And I'm, I'm proud of, you know, I'm proud. My wife is obviously proud. My family's proud of sticking with our gun. Yeah. So obviously tons of just uh, elation, uh, emotion in that moment. But it sounds like a lot of uh, 
<laughs> part part of me, but a lot of f u in that emotion too. Yeah, like, yeah like, it's a whole lot of yeah. Yeah, you're okay. wrong. You're wrong. You're wrong. They were wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Look at me and now. And I think for so many, yeah, like man, I mean, I, 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 Ryan, I can't tell you how many people, like not just black men, but just people in general. Yeah. Have you DM me or comment? It's like fifty thousand comments under this one, you know, one post. Um, the people are like, nah, like they they want to have that moment, you know? Cause yeah. they, I mean, I'm not the only one who's heard that. You know, one of my best friends, Sydney Labat, she and I go to these high schools and get these talks. And, man, she was like less than a week from match day, and they were like, "You probably not gonna match me anesthesia." Less than a week, like man, that's crazy, man. Like we talking about like a really talented. You know, doctor, man, and she, you know, it, we all hear it, man, especially minorities, man, you hear it all the time, man. You hear it in the media, you hear it in the news, you, you hear it anywhere and everywhere. It's like, it's out there, man. Like, you know, and, and you, when you get that moment to be like, I told you so, you you know, you, you want it. I, I want to, and I don't hold back, you know? <laughs> yeah. Maybe it makes some people uncomfortable, but that ain't my problem, that's yours. Yeah. I love it. I love it. Uh, we we need to be more vocal about it. Um, yeah. I I have a, a virtual mentor. I've met him a couple times in person, but a virtual mentor who who always talks about um, if if you see one person who comes from the same neighborhood you came from, who looks like you, whatever. If you see one person do what you want to do, then it's possible. Just go figure it out yeah. and don't don't listen yeah. to anyone else. No, they don't know what they doesn't mean about. it's easy. <laughs> no. Doesn't mean it's easy. I, I would I would venture to guess you you wouldn't say your path has been easy, but you're here. No, nah, it hasn't been easy. But I will say this, Ryan, man, it's been worth it. Love it. It's been worth it, man. Yeah. It's been worth it. The greatest, the greatest uh, privilege you can have is to take care of someone's life in the hospital. Yeah. It's, and I, I've served my country. I've deployed. Like I've I've done a lot. There's nothing better than seeing a child go home who's happy because. You know, I never forget I had a kid who had rhabdo, um, came in super dehydrated, thought like, you know, he peeing, color urine, and, you know, he's just really worried. And he'd go home happy as can be, walking and talking, you know, everything. Yeah. You see the elation on mom and dad's face. There's nothing better than feeling to know that, like, you were part of the care team who got that kid right or got that patient right. You know, yeah. it's, it's amazing, man. Talk about the the fifteen white coats picture. It sounds like that mm-hmm. there was some controversy surrounding that. What what was the goal behind uh, that picture, and and what was some of the pushback? Yeah, so the goal behind that picture was just to illustrate how far black people have come in medicine. Mm. You know, you got fifteen black medical students, and that's the the shirt that you're wearing right now too. Although most people mm-hmm. are listening yeah, to this, it, it I'm, looks I'm like wearing that now. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh. You know, so when we went to take that photo, it was because, you know, we wanted to illustrate just how far black people have come. We were on slave, uh, a slave plantation, mm. you know, and, and that house, that cabin that we were standing in front of used to house like 20 to 30 people. And the, the spot was probably smaller than a normal size patient room. Yeah. And all those people were sleeping in that one place. So, you know, we, we, we understood the moment. We understood, you know, what we were dealing with. Um, and those photos went viral, man. And some people were like, you know, we need to talk about the anti-racism, but we don't need to take it this far. Or, 
you know, those those photos are, are controversial or this and that. Man, I don't know how many of people we actually listen to. We formed a nonprofit. We've been raising money. 100% of every dollar that we raise is to provide scholarships. You know, right now we're providing a scholarship to uh, my uh, minorities who are students from historically black colleges and universities who are applying to medical school. Um, a $250 scholarship to 10 different students at HBCUs. Um, that's what we're running this week, you know, because AMCAS is clearly about to open up. Um, you know, I, I think we, we are doing the right thing. We're taking it, we put that photo in classrooms all over the world for free. So schools go on our website, sign up for a poster. We mail it to them along with a curriculum to have a conversation with the kids about what does it mean to be a doctor? Can you see a doctor who doesn't look like you? You know, um, you know, because that conversation needs to be had at the elementary and middle school level. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, man, I think we're doing the right thing right now. Nice. I, I think you are as well. For that pre-med student listening to this, um, who's who's questioning their journey, who maybe just got their first F or got uh, their first application cycle and, and rejected by every school, what do you say to them to, to keep them motivated to keep going? Yeah, be unwilling to quit. Just be hell-bent on not quitting. This It's hard. I'm not about to sit up here and fake it with you and tell you that at some point it's going to let up or at some point it's going to be easy. It's not. It's just not. It's going to always be hard until you, I'm assuming, I mean, I've talked to attending said that it was hard. So, um, and it's hard at the attending level too. So, but it's worth it. Um, but you have to be unwilling to quit. You can't let anything stop you like nothing, whether it's a family member or a friend or an F um, or a bad grade, like whatever, don't let anything be stubborn. If you really want to become a physician, you don't have to be stubborn because I have yet to meet anyone who became a physician who didn't fail at something at some point along the way. Everyone got a bad grade at some point in some class, in some way, and they all recovered. Every doctor failed at something at some point. No doubt about it. So if they can do it, if I can do it, you can do it too. It doesn't mean it's going to be easy. I would hope that it wouldn't be easy because we put in people's lives in your hands. Um, but it is worth it. Uh, and if it's something that you really want, medicine is, is here for you. You belong in medicine. Medicine needs you. Medicine needs humans. Medicine needs people who understand that people are still people. Yeah. You know. Well, Russell, I, uh, I'm glad I stumbled across your, your video. I think the whole world did. Uh, it had me in tears watching it, just the emotion behind uh, your words. Uh, I, I am proud of you, uh, and I'm excited that you are, are one of us uh, in the medical yeah. world here to, to take care of patients and to, to take care of, of people, and uh, more importantly, to give motivation to those um, who need it uh, on this journey to medical school. So yeah. thank you for, for being a part of it and being, being willing to, willing to um, carry some of that burden on your shoulders. Of course. I wouldn't do it any other way, man. Thanks for having me on. All right. So there you have it. Again, Dr. Russell Leday. I would love for you to go check out the15whitecoats.org. Learn about their scholarships. Donate if you can and support an amazing organization. Go follow Dr. Russell Leday at Dr. D-R, Russell Leday, that's R-U-S-S-E-L-L-L-E-D-E-T on Instagram. 
an amazing story of someone who never gave up. Hope you have a great week. We'll see you next time here on The Pre-Med Years. This is MedEd Media.